0: There's a story of a group of guys playing a a round of golf one day at the local golf course. One of the guys is just about to chip onto the green when he sees a long funeral procession on the road right next to the golf course. So he stops mid-swing, he takes off his golf hat, he closes his eyes, and he bows his head in prayer. One of the men that was there in his group speaks up and says, Wow, that has got to be the most thoughtful and touching thing I have ever seen in my life. You, sir, are a truly kind man, a man of integrity. The man looks up and replies, Yeah, you know, it's the least that I can do. After all, we were married 35 years Some of you didn't get that. (laughs) He's playing golf at his wife's funeral. Amen. There you go. Your joke of the day. I like to call it your daily blessing. Well, anyway, let's get started. If you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, verse number one. Proverbs, chapter 30, and verse one. We're in a series right now that we are calling Foolproof, based on the book of Proverbs. I really feel like God has given me a timely message today. It might be a challenging message, so just brace yourself for that. This is one of those messages where I'm thinking, God, I really don't want to preach that. (laughs) But here we go. Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 1. Here's what it says. The sayings of Agur, son of Jacob, an aspired utterance. This man's utterance to Ithiel... I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor I have attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. "...who has gone up to heaven and come down, whose hands have gathered up the wind, who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak, who has established all the ends of the earth, what is his name and what is the name of his son, surely you know." "...every word of God is flawless." He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words or He will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Boy, that will preach right there. That's not what this message is about, but that will preach. Here's what I want to focus on, verse 7. Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but only give me my daily bread. Otherwise, verse 9, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I'm calling this message the prayer of Agur. Father, for the next few moments, I ask that you would give me the mind of Christ as I present this word, the word I believe that you have given me to your people. God, I believe that the truth from your word has the opportunity to change us and set us free. So God, unless you anoint me, these words will fall flat. They will be pointless, but God, if you anoint these words, they will go forth and they will change the hearts of your people. They will challenge the hearts of your people. So God, we thank you for your anointing today, in Jesus' name, amen. Most of the book of Proverbs was written by King Solomon. We talked about that in week one of this series. However, Proverbs chapter 30 is written by a man named Agur. Now we know nothing about this man except for two things. Number one, we know the name of his father. Verse one says that Agur was the son of Jacob. But this man Jacob is a mystery as well. The second thing we know about Agar is the fact that nobody names their kid after him. I've never met somebody with the name of Agar. Maybe you have, but if you're looking for a solid biblical name to call your boy that's not used much, there you go. But these men are a mystery. Nothing else is said about them in the entire Bible. A couple of nobodies, if you will, if you will. But yet One chapter here in the book of Proverbs is dedicated to the thoughts of this mystery man. More specifically, a prayer that he prayed. Now it's no mistake that God wanted you and I to hear the prayer of this man. A nobody in the eyes of the world, but here we are today reading the words that he wrote thousands of years later. He starts off his prayer by telling God how weary he is. He's worn out. He's tired. He's also a man that doesn't think very highly of himself. You see how he puts himself down? Verse 2 again. He says, surely I'm only a brute, brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. So he's a man with very low self-esteem. Let me ask, can anyone relate? You're in here this morning... You're tired. You feel like the world keeps kicking you when you're down. In addition to that, you don't think very highly of yourself. You believe the lie of the enemy that you are worthless. You believe the lie of the enemy that nobody cares about you. That's where this man is at. But notice what he does in his weakness. And this is a great lesson for us all. In his weakness, he cries out to God. God. And in crying out to God, he utters a prayer that is truly profound. Listen to me. What he says in those verses, 7, 8, and 9, has the power to change your life. It has changed my life. I have adopted the prayer of Agur into my own prayer life. So let's look at those three verses again. Pay close attention to what he says. Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Verse 8, keep falsehood and lies far from me. That's the first thing. Second thing, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say who is the Lord, or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Notice this man is asking for two things. In the span of his entire life, Agar is asking God for two things before he dies. So basically what he's saying is, God, if you would grant me just these two things, when the day comes that I pass from this earth, I would view my life as a success. I would have finished my race, and I would have finished strong. Let me ask, what do you want to be remembered for? This is what Eger wanted to be remembered for. He could have asked God for a million different things. He could have said, God, let me live in a $50 million house before I die. He could have said, God, give me a car. God, give me a job. He could have made his life's mission about those things. But instead, he focuses on something else. He focuses on character-related issues. What do you want to be remembered for? Have you ever thought about that? Do you have a life prayer? Do you have a life prayer? Is there something in your life that you would say, no matter what I accomplish or I don't accomplish in life, as long as I accomplish this one thing or two things, then I would have lived my life to the fullest. What do I really want? Basically, it's a life goal. Last week I told you what my life prayer is. My life prayer is integrity. That's my one thing. And when you have your one thing, or even two things, as in the case of Ager, you base your life decisions accordingly to keep you on that path. They become your core values. It greatly helps you follow the voice of wisdom, which we talked about in week one. So regardless of what life throws at you, You don't waver on this. Have you ever sat down and really thought about this? What is my life prayer? Have you ever answered that? God, I ask you for this. Give me this before I die. I have joked and said I'm going to ask God that he would allow me see the Miami Dolphins win the Super Bowl before I die. But then I thought about that, and I realized if they ever did win the Super Bowl, I'd be kind of nervous, if you know what I mean. So I'm not going to pray for that. Just for the record, I'm not asking for that. But on the flip side, the chances of them actually winning another Super Bowl are are extremely slim, so I might just live forever praying that way. Who knows? (laughs) It's a gamble. But what is your life prayer? God, I ask for this. Let me have it before i die what would you put on the end of that look at what agar asks for the first thing that he asks god for is to keep falsehood and lies far from him now this is profound think about what he's asking for he is asking that god would not only keep truth in front of him but keep help him keep the truth in what he speaks One of Eger's core values was truth. Truth. He wanted the truth. He's not interested in the opinion of culture, and he's not interested in spreading his opinion because his heart's desire is for the truth. That's what he wanted. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 8 and verse 31 that it would be the truth that would set them free. So I want to talk about this for just a moment and address a hot topic issue in our culture that is once again dividing Christians. Here we go again. I thought we were past that, but here's another issue. Now before we get into this, I need you to really listen to all. Everybody say all. Of what I'm about to say I might say something you don't like I will probably say something you don't like but I am NOT giving you my opinion I'm giving you the truth from what the Word of God says I'm not telling you my opinion I'm not doing that if you've been here long enough you know me good enough to know I try to avoid sharing my opinion with you because my opinion is not truth so who really cares I am called by God to share the truth with you, you decide what to do with it, but you might not agree with truth, and that's what we're seeing in our society right now. I'm going to love you regardless. You can believe whatever you want, and I might disagree with you, and that's okay, but that doesn't mean I'm going to think any less of you. Does that make sense? It is possible it is possible to disagree with somebody's lifestyle. It's, it's possible to disagree with somebody's opinion and still love them and help them through life. It is possible. For instance, I had a young lady come up to me uh, a few weeks ago. She approached me. Uh, this was on a Wednesday night, It's one of our young girls that rides the buses, and she c- completely caught me off guard. She come up to me and she said, "Pastor, are you against homosexual people?" I looked at her and I said, no, I'm not against homosexual people. She looked at me confused and she said, but you're a pastor, don't you think homosexuality is a sin? I said, well, you didn't ask me that. You asked me if I was against homosexual people, which I'm not. Are you asking me if I think it is a sin? Well, what's the truth? Not what does culture tell you, but what does the one who created you tell you? According to the word of God, it is a sin. But I told her, listen to me. So is lying, which I'm guilty of. So is cheating, which I'm guilty of. So do I think it's a sin? Yes. But am I against homosexual people? No. And she just looked at me confused because that's not what culture tells us. Culture says if somebody doesn't agree with you, then they are the enemy. That's what culture says. But Jesus tells us that we are to love one another. He tells us that the world will know that we are His disciples by our love for one another, regardless of how they stand on an issue. He alone is the judge. I, it is not, I am not your judge. You're not going to stand before me one day, which is good because I'd make a horrible judge. You're going to stand before Him just like I will. So what right do I have to think I am superior to someone else just because their sin looks different than mine? That's called a hypocrite. So I continued. And I really felt like God gave me wisdom with this that night, just off the cuff. I said, just because I disagree with somebody's life decisions doesn't mean I don't love them or I won't help them. I said, my mother had a problem with drugs. Do you think I agreed with her lifestyle? I told her I didn't agree with her decision to take drugs, but that doesn't mean I quit loving her. That doesn't mean I quit helping her. It doesn't mean I condemned her or put her down, but I want you to, she knew where I stood. But I can still love her. So with that in mind, I want to do my best to present you with truth from God's Word so falsehood and lies stay far from you, as Agur prayed here in Proverbs chapter 30. But please listen to everything. Don't shut me down as soon as you hear something you don't like. A few weeks back, I spoke on parenting and discipline. I never once said you had to spank your kids. I never said that. I don't tell you what to do. I don't try to control you. That's not how I roll. I simply presented God's word and talked about discipline and told you that if you ignore disciplining your children, there's going to be consequences someday. I'm trying to help you consequences someday. I do not tell you how to live your forms of discipline. The form of discipline is an opinion. Spanking's one of them. I said that that's what we did, but I said clearly that, that you don't have to do that. I was very clear. The problem was, as soon as I said we spanked our kids, people that are against that shut me down. Completely. They didn't listen to a lick of of stuff I said the rest of the message. The feedback I got from people, they were mad at me because they were against spanking their kids. And I wanted to ask, did you listen to the whole message? (laughs) Obviously not. They heard what they wanted to hear. They shut me down. Same thing happened with the message I did on marriage the very next week. I left church that day and I said, God, I only want to preach on heaven from here on out. I'm just doing messages on heaven from here on out. I don't want to mess with all this other stuff. But I've learned this about people, so I've learned to prepare for it. As a matter of fact, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from true faith. They'll turn away from truth. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars. Their consciences are dead. He's talking about Christians. He's not talking about unbelievers. Right. To turn away from the faith, you had to want first be a part of the faith. He says in the last days, people will start to turn away from the truth. They will begin to turn away from what the Bible says, and they will begin to do what is right in their own eyes. Have you noticed that at all in our culture? Even entire churches have gone away from the truth of God already. You've seen entire churches walk away from the truth. And it amazes me how Christians, quote unquote, are fighting over things that are clear in the Word of God. But this is why people are turning away from the truth. Here's the thing. The truth makes them angry if it challenges their lifestyle. The truth will make you angry if it challenges your lifestyle. You don't want to hear the truth because it's in conflict to to what you believe in the lifestyle that you're living. And I have seen this come to pass at a rapid pace over the last couple of years with Christians. This recent issue is more proof of that. So with that being said, I'm sure you read the headline a few weeks back of the Supreme Court leak of a possible overturning of Roe versus Wade decision. What this will do is it will allow each state to make the decision on whether or not to allow abortions. This has caused a firestorm. There have been protests. There have been vandalism. People are once again divided and we're fighting amongst ourselves. Christians are once again divided and fighting amongst ourselves. The problem is, a lot of this is due to social media, but there's a slew of information and conspiracies coming at us nonstop. That's what happened when COVID hit. Because of that, sometimes it can be difficult to determine what is truth and what is a lie. So people, we've grabbed at all sorts of things, and what this does is it leads us to confusion and panic when the truth, the Word of God, is so clear. Now again, you can believe what you want, completely up to you. But I care, of, I care about you and therefore I don't want you living in fear and anxiety. That's why I do my best to teach the truth to you because again, Jesus said the truth is what will set you free and I want you to be free. So what is truth? That's the question we must ask. Not what does culture say, but what does the creator of the world say? Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. But people are once again raising their fists, they're fighting each other, and this time it's over the issue of abortion. So what is the truth about a child that has not yet been born? What does God say? Not what does culture say, what does God say? You can believe it, or you can reject it, the choice is yours. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, this is what God says. He says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. God does not say He knew us after we were born. He said He knew us before we were even formed in our mother's womb. This means you might not have been planned by your parents. But God planned you. I was not planned by my parents. I was conceived in the back seat of a Pontiac when my mother was 16 years old. Oops. Oops. And she had everybody in the family against it. Come from a good Christian home. I've told you that story before. Kicked out of my grandfather's will. A wealthy doctor. They didn't want me at that point. Let's go to the clinic. And let's, let's end this. But my mother said no. Psalm 139 and verse 13. Verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body you knit you knit me together in my mother's womb thank you for making me so wonderfully complex your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it verse 15 you watched me God watched you as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb you saw me before I was born every day of my life is recorded in your book every moment was laid out before a single day had passed this says God me saw us before we were born not only that but our days are recorded in his book every moment laid out before a single breath was taken this is proof that we were created every one of us with a special plan and a purpose from God I want you to know that there's not one person sitting in this room here this morning that is a mistake. You might not have been planned by your parents, but you were planned by Almighty God. You are supposed to be here. You are not a mistake. Now, even though God has planned our days, He still gives us something called free will, which means we can, by our own choice, choose to go our own way. We can choose to walk away from the path that God has laid out for us. Even when we do this, he doesn't quit loving us. Romans 5:8 says God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So we're precious to him. All human life is precious to him. We are his most prized creation. He calls us you and I his masterpiece. Since Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973, statistics show that more than 63 million children have been aborted just in America alone. That's the equivalent to 3,400 children a day or 2.3 children every minute. By the time this message is over, more than 92 children would have been aborted. This number doesn't include those that are uh, aborted chemically through what is known as the abortion pill, which would turn that, mil- that number into several million. Now listen... This number represents more than 63 million people that never had the chance to experience one of those days that God laid out while they were created in the womb. They had no choice. They had no chance at life. And I remember when Kyla was pregnant with, with Jordan, the doctor came in and they asked, she asked us if we wanted to take a certain kind of test to see if the young child had Down syndrome. And I don't even remember the name of the test. The, the question kind of confused me. because I was like, why would we want to take that test? So I remember asking the doctor, why? What, what, what would be the benefit of taking that test? And she looked at us and said, so if the baby has Down syndrome, you have the chance, the choice to abort it. We were stunned. I remember asking, that's really a thing? You really do that? But we didn't even have to think about it. We said, we don't need the test. We believe this child is a gift from God regardless of what happens and we're going to love this child no matter what because according to the Word of God, every life is precious to Him. And I think I think about the overwhelming number of children that have been aborted over the past few decades and I can't help but wonder, knowing the Word of God, I wonder if there was an individual in that mix that perhaps God had destined to find the cure of cancer. Maybe someone that could cure hearing loss or Alzheimer's disease. We'll we'll never know, but it just makes me wonder. But here's the argument. Here's the argument against abortion, and this is what we're all getting hung up on, Christians and non-Christians alike. The questions are asked, well, what about pastor somebody that's raped? What about a mother's life that is endangered by the pregnancy? Excellent questions. Excellent questions. I don't have all the answers. There is a million different variables, but this is what I do know. The survey that was done in the state of Florida a few years ago found that in more than 70,000 abortion cases, now listen to me, 0.5% of abortion, this number fluctuates throughout the states, but this is pretty common, 0.5% of abortion cases were due to those types of issues. Incest, rape, something like that. 0.5% of abortions were due to those issues. The mother's life at risk. Roughly one half of 1%. Over 99% of abortions were due to, are you ready for this, inconvenience. 99.5%, that's the stat of abortions, are due to inconvenience. I can't afford it. It'll interfere with my school or my career. I have relationship problems, etc. Those are your top reasons for abortion. Here's the truth. We don't want to be held accountable for our actions. That's why people are outraged by this. We don't want to be held accountable for our actions. You see, there is a reason that God wants you to abstain from sex before marriage. It's not to punish you. He wants what's best for you. He wants to protect you. So He guides us with His Word to help us from making a mess out of our life. But what we do is we ignore it, and then we get ourselves into a predicament that's now going to change the rest of our life. These are the main reasons for abortion, but that's not what we talk about. We ignore the big picture and we focus on the 0.5% to justify our stance on the issue. We ignore what the creator of the womb, the child in the womb says. And you can do that, that's up to you. This decision's not between me and you, it's between you and God. But God says, God says that the person in the womb is of great value. Greater than the value of the fish of the oceans, Greater value than the birds flying through the air. Greater value than the beasts on the land. Greater value than the trees. If we read the creation account in the book of Genesis, we will see that after God created every, created something, He said it was good. But when He created you and I, He said it was very good. We are His masterpiece we are His most prized creation. Before He created us, He loved us. Before He created us, He had a plan for us. And that's the truth from the Word of God. Now you have to take it and decide what you do with it. The sad thing about this, about abortion, and this is, what, this is another thing that really, it really hurts me, is the, is the fact that abortion not only affects the unborn child, but it is very damaging, has very damaging effects to the mother that walks through it. Some mothers can go through an abortion like nothing happened, but those cases you'll find are very, very rare. Most professionals will tell you the emotional side effects that the mother experiences after an abortion are extremely severe. I've seen Christians spew insults at these mothers that have given into abortion. And we have stood with our picket signs and we beat them over the head with our signs. And we wonder why churches are getting vandalized right now and we've got to be on high alert. We were on high alert Mother's Day because people were burning churches to the ground. We have not; we are not seen, unfortunately, as Christians, as people of love. We're seen as people of hate. We have failed to respond in love to people that disagree with us, but instead what we've chosen to do is beat them over the head with our signs. When a woman has an abortion, professionals will tell you that oftentimes, most of the time, she will enter into a severe depression unlike anything that she's experienced in her life. These women are faced with regret, anger, guilt, shame, a sense of loneliness and isolation, loss of self-confidence, insomnia and nightmares, relationship issues, suicidal thoughts and feelings, eating disorders, and anxiety, just to name a few. And I have spoken personally to young ladies that have aborted and many will say it was the worst mistake of my life. Now they're living with regret of their choice. And you know, church, rather than pushing these precious ladies away, rather than constantly reminding them of their choice, what if instead we were a people that wrapped our arms around them and told them that we love them because that's what they need in order to heal. Not only do we love them, but God loves them. So much so, that before they were in their mother's womb, He knew them. Despite what they've done, God loves them. Let's not, be a, let's not be a people that condemn and shun those that disagree with us. Let's be a people that loves others. Let's be a people that helps others rebuild their lives and help them to forgive themselves. Let's not be a people of... Amen. Let's not be a people known as a people of hate. Let's be known as a people of love. John 13, 35, Jesus, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. This man, Agur, he made his life's mission to find the truth, regardless of what the opinion of culture said. I don't care what culture says what's truth. That was the first thing he prays for. He wanted to be remembered as a man that stood for truth. But I want you to know standing for truth will cost you. It will cost you. I remember in Phoenix one time I had a a young man call the church. And he said, Pastor, I'm a homosexual man. Will you accept me? And I remember saying this. I said, absolutely, yeah, I'll, I'll accept you, but I have a question for you. I said, will you accept me? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, just like you have strong beliefs about this area, I said, I also have strong beliefs about this area, and so I might preach and teach what the Word of God says, which is different than what you believe. Can you accept that we might differ in what we believe? And he, he literally, on the phone, he said, no, I can't do that, and he hung up. You see, what he was looking for is someone to say, yeah, your lifestyle is great, But that's not my role. My role is to tell you the truth. So there's a price for standing for truth. Because some people will walk away from you. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9 again. He says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I might have too much and disown you and say who is the Lord. Or I might become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Here he asks, the second thing he asks for is for God to give him his daily bread. You see, his relationship with God was more important to him than the things of the world. He knew that there is a trap of wealth that says, things are going well for me now. God, I don't need you anymore. And I have seen this a lot in more than 20 years of ministry. As a matter of fact, I know good people called into full-time ministry to preach the gospel. They're serving in full-time ministry, and they start a side job, and they end up in the side job making a good deal of income. And so they left their call to pursue that instead. Called by God to preach the gospel. Not everybody is, but they were lured, lured away by the pursuit of wealth this is why Agur says God give me just my daily bread. This is how Jesus instructs us to pray as well. Give us today our daily bread because praying this way helps me keep my focus and my dependence on him on God. There's nothing wrong with wealth. I know several wealthy people that have used what God has blessed them with to greatly advance the kingdom of God. They are using their resources to build the kingdom. They are making an investment into something that will far outlast them. That is their ministry and I'm thankful for them. They get it. They're not chasing and hoarding everything to themselves. They're chasing God and they're giving to support His work. And So what happens is oftentimes you'll see God blesses them even more and so that they start giving more. That's called the heart of a servant. I don't understand for the life of me why some people refuse to support the work of God financially and we look for any reason not to give to support the work of God to me it's the greatest work in the world much of the time it's because there's a hoarding mentality within that individual I guarantee you the heart is not in the right spot there's a difficulty being content if you're not content with what you currently have you won't Give to support God's work because you're always thinking about you and what you need this man Eager, he didn't want to be remembered for that so Ager's prayer was for truth and contentment and I would be willing to bet because this was his life prayer that at his funeral people that got up and spoke about him said the same thing i bet they said this guy he was a man of truth he was content with what god had blessed him with oh for you and i to be like agar this should be a good example to us all on how to finish the race and finish strong with what's truly important in life so what is your life prayer do you have a life prayer Maybe yours is to ask God for the same thing that Ager asked for. There have been times I have prayed the prayer of Eager myself. Maybe there's something else that you want to be remembered for. But what is your life prayer? If you don't know, that is my challenge to you this week. To really sit and think and pray about, about this, this, this subject this week. Because once you figure it out... It helps you distinguish between the voice of wisdom and the voice of folly so much better. It helps keep you off of the crooked path that we talked about last week. I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes as we get ready to close today. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. God, I want to thank you for truth. God, I know, Lord, that sometimes the truth can sting a little bit. But God, You love us regardless of how we stand on an issue and, and what we believe. But God, I just pray that we would be a people that stood for truth. And that doesn't mean we condemn other people that, that might uh, disagree with us. But God, that we, we can stand firm on what we believe as truth from Your Word, but we can still love others that disagree with us. God, that is my prayer today. It's also my prayer, God, that As we leave this place, God, I believe that you're already speaking to some people in this room on what their life prayer could be. God, I ask for one thing. Or maybe it's a couple things. Let me have this before I die. God, I just pray right now, everybody's at a different spot in life. So for some, this might look different than others. But God, I just pray that you would speak to each one right where they're at today. And that as we pray our life prayer, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will stay on that path, the path, God, that you want us to walk down, the path that leads us closer to you. We thank you for it today in Jesus' name. I want you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed.